Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. You know, in medical school, Dr. Uh, wannabes are expected to learn to do abortions, um, and during his residency, Dr. John Bruchalski did. I mean, uh, like I said, it was expected. But, but this nominal Catholic doctor at the time, I guess, nominal at the time, did it because he wanted to serve women and be the best doctor he could be. He convinced himself that ending the life of a baby in the womb was health care. But one day the routine procedure didn't go as planned and it began a dramatic change in him to the point where he stopped performing abortions and began offering what, it, what is called merciful medicine, a pioneering approach to reproductive health care that, quote, respects female fertility, honors the dignity of the unborn, and offers care to patients regardless of their financial situations. Dr. Prochalski tells its inspiring conversion story in his book, Two Patients, my conversion from abortion to life-affirming medicine. He joins me now. Welcome, Dr. John. Lauren, it's wonderful to be with you this morning. Well, it's wonderful. You know, I read the entire book. You know, um, a lot of times I don't have time to read the entire book, but I did actually read yours because it really is inspiring. And it's, what's important is that you know, people understand this is your story, and you don't preach or look down on anyone. It simply tells what happened to you. Um and, but what's apparent is that your faith actually grew as part of your rejecting abortion and, and the, the process, right? Absolutely. Uh, Romans 8.28 kind of jumped off the page, and all things um, are worked for the good to those who love him. And uh, his mercy uh, and his grace uh, enabled me to uh, see, you know, therefore the grace of God go I, because there's no stones mm-hmm, thrown. Mm-hmm. I was I was the poster child for uh, for the way so many of us are lukewarm. We want to be the best we can be in our profession, and ultimately we put the uh, the 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 men and women pleaser above the fear of the Lord. Yeah, and uh, I really did all that. And it's interesting because it, this could be any of us. I mean, all of us. And it's not you're not painting abortion, um, or you know, abortion rights people as evil people and they're bad. Because no, because this is all of us. You know, could be any of us. I mean, you were you were raised Catholic. Um, your father very devout, and he even called the Supreme yeah. Court decision legalizing abortion. He called it Black Monday. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, how did you actually? you know, come to see abortion as okay, living in that environment. Oh, Lauren, um, you talk about love and truth as foundational. And uh, my parents really did the best they could do to form me in a love of uh, tradition and the word of God. And yet they also during, you know, I'm 62. Mm -hmm. So during uh, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and still today, 
education has a problem. Um, there is a relative, there's a tyranny of relativism mm-hmm. where there's no truth. You determine your own truth. You can determine how your worldview is and no one should tell you otherwise. So my parents trusted me with a parochial education. And I can tell you that going through high school and then going through a Jesuit college, I believed in situational ethics, uh, proportionalism, relativism. And I literally began to um, take on the uh, culture and the friends and the educational system. And I literally moved away. I was lukewarm, Lauren. Uh, You know, he talks about vomiting from his mouth. And I bought it. I bought the lie that God really didn't want you whole. He was a jealous, not a great guy like Genesis Mm -hmm, taught mm -hmm. us with Adam and Eve. Yeah, God is either powerful or, you know, powerful or loving, but not both. Correct. And uh, he's so, you know, he doesn't exactly. And then I end up lukewarm and I end up buying the second lie that children are sexually transmitted diseases. Wow. And you can, uh, abortion is good health care. That's the second lie. So it's the lies that I just lived because I was lukewarm. And I didn't want to be like, you know, oh, my parents, they're just old and they're right. evil. And I think so many of us, uh, any of us who have uh, have children today, we know how that is. Uh, it's part of life. It's part yeah. of the human condition. You know, so, you, you know, that's that was my story. Yeah. yeah. My, my brother, who is my oldest brother, who is, you know, like almost old enough to be my fa- my my parent. He remember he said one day, they says, you know, the older I got, the more um, the more wise my parents got you know (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's amazing how that happens after you turn like 25 um but how many abortions go together yeah how many abortions did you actually do did you ever keep track no i didn't uh somewhere under i don't know 60. okay but it was a lot because we were doing abortions oh no i i did enough you know most of the abortions i did were for uh sick children the eugenic kind mm-hmm. where you scare somebody with the genetic testing you give them a percentage of possible problem the mom panics mm-hmm. and she chooses abortion that was the most common um i did some elective abortions through professors um and uh those were you know first second uh and i even uh you know i we were even taught those uh, DNX abortions for um, third trimester uh, wow. unborn infants, fetuses. Yeah, and so that was at a time. When, when was this? In the uh, was it nineties? I guess so, maybe. Uh, no, uh, you're close. Uh, it was 87, 80. 1987, yeah. 1988. And I did a few in medical school, so that would have been uh, nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, but they they didn't have the, you know the medical knowledge they have today. I mean, we know a lot more about the fetus than we did then. But back then, it was like, oh, it's just a clump of cells, right? Right. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> yes, that's the language we use to convince people to dis... So, so Lauren, 
at the heart of this, um, a, a mother with child became a woman with a right to abortion. Mm. Now, remember, most of the time we never use the word abortion. Just think about all the, uh, you know, even uh, President Biden just recently talked about choice, that I'm going to sign everything to preserve choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the language matters. And we are putting a wedge between the book layer, the, the virtual book layer. That's the layer of cells that intimately and nano nanoly separates the infant's placenta from the mother's uterus. It's the line of a uh, female pathologist that intimates that incredible intimacy physiologically that separates mom and her child. Now, we have been since the 70s because we know that abortion has always been in the shadows. No matter what they try to tell you, it's never been a part of mainstream medicine. You had to go to the other side of town. You don't really talk about it. Mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. recognize that uh, ACOG. And, because that's why if abortion is so good, why don't more doctors do it? It's because only about 15% of physicians have ever done abortions. Really? I didn't realize so, that. I thought this was just no. sort of the standing standard, standard, standard well, operating procedure that all doctors, you know, they have to learn well, to do abortions, well, right? Well, well, we do. But it's very challenging because up until just recently, there were never centers that only dedicated themselves to reproductive health care. And even in that word, um, patients have now become consumers and on a more intellectual plane, but a very realistic heart plane. Patient autonomy is what has gone wrong at the heart of my profession. I'm a vending machine. If a woman comes in, a patient comes in and says, I want an abortion. That's why they talk about access over and over and over again, because they know that they don't have enough doctors doing it. Now they're saying, oh, no, nurse practitioners can do it. Oh, no, medical assistants can do it. You know, you can do it at home. You can do Mm. a vacuum aspiration, which is which was found back in the day. in what is it? um, The book, um, uh, Our Bodies, Ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Boston. Yeah, how to do self-induced abortions. And there's always been that dissonance between what was mainstream, but now, as you can see, with all the confusion about mixed miscarriages and ectopics and good medicine, oh, the life of the mother, just like you said, Lauren, your finger's on the pulse. Medicine has changed. Not only do we have 4D ultrasounds that show the humanity of the fetus, which is now your child sucking its thumb with pain fibers at 12 and 15. And I can tell you that the same thing has happened in caring for women who are pregnant moms. I've talked to many solid maternal fetal medicine specialists, and they have reassured me that there is never a need to kill your child to save your life. And, wow. you know, at our program, you never you never pit mom against baby. You know, it's I want to I want to ask you about your yeah, program because I forgot to mention it in the introduction. You have uh, what is the name of your organization that you run now? So there's two names. Uh, one is the medical practice called 
Tepiac, OBGYN in Fairfax, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the umbrella organization is called Divine Mercy Care. Now, we, when I had my change of heart, I heard practice excellent medicine. This was in my prayer life, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Practice excellent medicine, see the underserved daily and follow the teachings of my son's church in faith and tradi- in scripture and tradition. And I can tell you that we are now a not-for-profit medical practice in one of the most wealthiest areas because we have the least of like Matthew 25 right here in our own community. And by partnering with good pregnancy resource centers in the region, including the people who work outside of, um, you know, Carhartt's abortion mill near us. Mm -hmm. I just have to tell you that um, it's in that dynamic of almsgiving. Pepiac OBGYN is is kind of an almshouse outpatient OBGYN practice. And by combining social justice with the gospel of life, we can heal wounds within, within the church, so to speak, but we also need to help our community through alms. Medicine's an act of mercy, Lauren, for us. And health is relational. It's not just um, empathy. Oh, I appreciate, I, I can understand your pain. And it's not even compassion. It's, oh my God, I must suffer with you. Yeah, yeah. It's actually merciful, meaning by medicine and by house calls and by going, following people who are, have less than you do, um, it really humbles one because they teach you much more about yourself and your relationship to your neighbor and to your God than any textbook can because they are living textbooks. And so that's the practice. Divine Mercy Care is now geared towards helping raise those funds to help us cover that delta. Inflation's worsening it. Medicine's worsening it. Mm -hmm. um, The situation of abortion is worsening it. We get many women who were told by many other doctors to abort, but it's not in their heart. So they kind of come to us or people who believe they're abortion minded come to us and we give them all the options, but show them that there's a better way. And also Divine Mercy Care also helps spread this type of approach to medicine to burned out doctors and uh, Mm -hmm. medical students and residents that are kind of going through um, that process of becoming doctors. You know, I want to I want to um, get to the the conversion because it's fascinating, kind of how you were doing abortions and then something happened that just sort of changed it all. We're going to take a break right now on uh, uh, Lighthouse Faith podcast with Dr. John Bruchalski. We'll be right back. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And we're back with Dr. John Bruchalski, who uh, is a fascinating book of his sort of version from um, 
abortion to um, uh, life-affirming medicine. And one of the things, I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned something that might have flown by a lot of people's words. You mentioned something called proportionalism. And, you know, and and I want to also bring in something about the Catholic Church. It's very, very important here because we're in the 60th anniversary of uh, Vatican II. And, you know, people may not realize how many sort of Jesuit priest educators and people in the church interpreted the changes of Vatican II as sort of a free for all. Um, and you, you you kind of talk about the moral relativism that's rooted in something called proportionalism. And it's probably how many people actually live their lives. It's by default, really. You know, even if you don't know what the, the sort of term actually means, but it sort of means it means that it can, and this is a direct quote from your book, that it can sometimes be right to do an action that presents itself as morally wrong. It holds that no action is intrinsically evil, um, you know, because it's based on a moral decision on personal conscience rather than on biblical principles. And this is this is the really the evil that kind of seeped into um, the Catholic teaching, right? Lauren, you have your finger on the pulse. Whenever, so what I have found is, is that I was being pulled in an evangelical church the nights, the months before that incident happened. So I was being discipled. I was, I was with incredibly powerful, faithful community. And I grew up in a very powerful, faithful Christian community. And yet, biblical truths become interpreted because they can be twisted. Mm -hmm. And remember, it's a light, you know, the enemy comes as an angel of light. And it is a free-for-all. The Catholic community in the Jesuit world, at least, there were some that held to the teachings of the faith that are based on Scripture in their understanding of faith and morals. And so there was this 2,000-year teaching that built on itself and was coherent and consistent. But somewhere in the 50s and 60s, and then the 70s and continuing, uh, don't worry about that. Um, It's really just your uh, conscience. Yeah, God knows your heart. God knows you're a good person. You know, truth doesn't matter. You know, he knows that you've got really good intentions here. Oh, my Lord, yes. And once you unmoor mercy from the Bible, from Scripture, it turns into the gas chamber of the 1940s. It turns into the sterilizing tables of the 1920s and 30s, and in my state, up until the 1970s with Carrie Buck. Uh, It also turns in 2022 to the abortion clinic. When you unmoor mercy from faith and scripture, from the truth, and you don't look at things through the lens of mercy, which is really based on love and truth. Yeah. That gentleness of Galatians 2.20, I believe. I want you to know, uh, Lauren, you end up because you are searching and you're asking for something more. You want to touch the transcendent. And now they're telling you that you can do it by living in this world and providing what this world has said is good. And just like uh, a famous... uh, Somebody in my own cloud of uh, friends and witnesses, you have one leg in the, in the city of man 
and I'm saying man as a gynecologist mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. the men were on the Supreme Court and the men were the OBGYN. <laughs> no, I'm just just joking here, Lauren. But <laughs> you mean humanity? One. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I know I watch you and follow you for a reason. Yes, from humanity, just like menopause and many other things. But <laughs> I want you to know that um, I. I wanted transcendence. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted. And when you find someone who says, oh, you can do that, but you can also really um, follow us rather than following Christ. Yeah. And Christ is left at the doorsill of your practice or of your hospital or of your operating room. And all of a sudden, your faith and your conscience are private, buddy. They're not meant to be shared. And oh, by the way, if you do think about it, just remember it's proportional. It's a situation. The woman presents in front of you. You bet you measure the pros and cons. But because medicine has literally enshrined patient autonomy as the foundation, it becomes wishy-washy. It becomes whatever the patient wants. Yeah. And that led me So here I am hearing the word preached at my first assembly church. I'm working at a pregnancy center at night. Dear Lord, thank you so much for all the people coming in tonight. Let's lead us, help us, let them come to know your love and peace and mercy. Well, I found that to be very interesting because it it connected me with my past, but they were on fire with the Holy Spirit and they were alive. Mm -hmm. And yet I was alive also in my work in the hospital where every third night I was on call. And that cognitive and heartful, and as a gynecologist, my womb was in total disarray, despair, and dissonance. And I began to feel the pull of Christ because of the witnesses. Not only was the data of abortion and breast cancer, abortion and preterm labor, abortion and uh, mental illness and depression and suicide coming into play, but I had a doctor witness to me just immediately after I aborted a woman in one room. Now, this is the key. This is key. I think this is this is the part where you this is your conversion, where the seed is planted in such a way that you cannot ignore it. This is the turning point in, in your life. What happened? So remember, Lauren, and just like, you know, I was baptized. So I became a member of the child of God sacramentally. And then I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior in front of my friends and my church. And yet (laughs) the backsliding and the issues were still there. Right. The sin. And, you know, so there I am in full blown dissonance. And I swear, if the if the folks at that church and that pregnancy center weren't in my life, I don't know what would have snapped. But I can tell you that in one room, I'm trying to save the life of a 22-week-old fetus because the mom wanted it. And in the very next room, because the mother didn't want her 22-week fetus, I did not take a good I did not take a good history. I did not take a good physical, but I broke her water anyway and pitted the baby out. Rather than suffocating it, because that's what we do, I literally caught that baby because my heart was so hard. Uh, the hardness of heart is not 
a joke, folks. When Scripture speaks, it speaks, and it's the Word, and the Word was with him, and John's prologue is real. It's not just language. It is true. It is life and love. I want you to know that in the next room, I was I caught the baby, the fetus, because it really was a fetus to me, in a pail, a metal pail. Mm. I almost suffocated it because in OBGYN today, we... Oh, mothers are too weak. They don't need to be engaged. You know, if we tell them more about abortion, they're just not going to choose it. And we really want them to choose it. So just muffle the kid, get it over with. It's only 22 weeks. It's not going to live anyway. It's incompatible with life. Don't worry about it. You're merciful, doctor. You're su- you're you're shortening its suffering and you're shortening the suffering. It's now mercy killing. Remember that. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. This is real. But I picked up it. I picked it up by the head. I threw it on a scale because it felt a little different. Hmm. The the essence of I'm a really good doctor. I wanted to be a good doctor. I'm really good at history. I'm really good at listening to my patients. At least that's what they tell me, even after 30 years of doing it. And yet I just threw it on the scale and there it was, 505 grams. I had to hit a button out of truth and my own. So 505 grams means what? It in the medical well, be- see, so so 450 grams is a pound. Mm-hmm. But in the state of Virginia at the time, anything under 500 grams is not a a human life. So mm-hmm. you can just throw it out. Mm-hmm. Over 500 grams, you have to treat it like a patient, like a human like a member of the human family. So what happened in, was the the woman, the, the mother in this case, she wanted an abortion in the worst way. And she didn't tell you all the information about how long she'd actually been pregnant. But you, So you took her word for everything, right? Yes, ma'am. But it was more than that. It was she, if I remembered correctly, she just came in and she was in early labor. And... When you treat two patients, which is the title of my book, you care for both and you do what's best for both. Because if you take care of the mom, it definitely implies that you also take care of the baby because a healthy mom is a healthy baby. But when you decide the life of the child is based on the desire of the mother, guess what? I didn't take a good history. I believed her. And she wasn't an ideologue, remember? It was in her pain, in her brokenness, and the fact that she was probably in her maybe 50th relationship, 10th relationship, that was bad Mm -hmm. and not loved. And she couldn't do this. She couldn't go through with this. And she was feeling that tension, and she waited until 22 weeks to tell us. Mm. And yet there was no good dates, and I just took her. The baby was further along a little bit. And over 500, you have to call the neonatology doctors. That's that high-risk, special, small baby unit. They rushed in, and there she was, Dr. Deborah Plum, who I've now since contacted, and we've become friends again, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. came in and said, hey, John, she, she assessed the – she looked, and she says, oh, my God, this is what's going on. Um, hey, Bruchowski, stop treating my patients as tumors. Have coffee with me tomorrow. <laughs> and what did she mean by that? What did she mean? Stop treating my patients as tumors. So remember, when you do an abortion, you don't monitor the baby because you don't want the heartbeat to sound in the mother's heart or ears. You don't 
actually follow anything except the process of the termination. So her cervix was open. I just reached in with my finger and my instrument and I broke the water to get her going, meaning not to stop contractions, but to cause contractions. And that child inside the mother was right on the verge of what we considered viable back in mm -hmm. 1989. And so sh her job is to care for the newborn child outside the womb of the mother. Because remember, up to that time, the OBGYN collaborates with a high-risk medical expert called the maternal fetal medicine specialist to care for both mom and child, to get them to health and wholeness and happiness, and for some of us, holiness. But in the same token, when there's an abortion going on, you do whatever the mother wants, and you go on a seek and destroy mission based on the fetus's size and age. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. now we're doing it medically, you know, up until almost 11 weeks, which is a whole nother issue to talk about. But this woman, this Dr. Debbie Plum, cared for babies 300, 400, 500 grams. Remember, 450 grams is a pound. This wow. baby is fits in your hand and it was her job in the intensive care unit for children like this especially when they're on this cusp depending on how i treat the child and how she treats the child is how that child navigates the side effects of being premature the side effects of our treatment so we improve our outcomes by caring for two patients from fertilization to wow. birth. Now, and that was drastically just shoved in my face at that moment and jammed into my heart. She was the one who suggested you go to Medjugorje, um, which I think is interesting, um, right? Wasn't she the one that said, you know, you should go to Medjugorje? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, Bosnia Herzegovina. The next morning. Yes, that that's an amazing simply, story. Yeah, go that, ahead. And why did you why did you even agree to go? I mean, I don't think you. No, it was your mother who wanted you to go. It was like somebody suggested it, and then your mother kind of went, "Oh, hey, how about going? How about us going to Medjugorje?" So yeah, at that coffee that morning, she says, "You're better than this. You need to be thinking about two patients. I know you don't believe much, and you know she didn't know that I was going to this wonderful evangelical church." And she says, I just got back from a place that gave me a lot of peace. It's a place called Medjugorje. You don't really have to buy into what's happening there. The mother of God supposedly appearing there. I just want you to go. I'm going to recommend you go. And I was like, nah, no way. I'm not interested. And then two days later, mom calls and she's a travel bug. And she says, hey, do you want to go somewhere for winter break? And of course, <laughs> that was the winter of 1989. And I'm telling you. I said, sure, mom, because I was still very close to my parents and my parents knew what I was doing and they always intercedingly prayed for me. Always, mm. always that 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 somehow I would open my heart to the love of Christ again. And uh, I went with her and uh, on a hill there um, after I heard a young Belgian woman in English speak some French to me. Um, I was kind of disjointed by that. And taking out scripture, I was uh, 
bending over and then uh, a smell of roses came and then some other things uh, in my prayer life there I, I touched the mercy of God um, and uh, the mother uh, and the son uh, do whatever he tells you um, I am your mother uh, from the incredible pain and suffering of the cross uh, faith passes through those moments of suffering it's the only thing that keeps you alive at that moment and oh by the way johnny um if you're open you can become an instrument to uh, help my son renew the face of medicine and you will do that by being excellent seeing the underserved daily and following the teachings of uh, my son's church and scripture and tradition. I've got to uh, say, I, yeah, you know, we're running out of time here. I just, I want to get to some of the things that are really, really pressing on us today. We are in a post Roe v. Wade world and, and, and uh, we've got a, you know, midterm election looming and um, there is a fight over what this world is about, um, you know, what is life, um, you know, and let's just let's just go to one of the things that's happening even right now is that um, it, Justice Alito is talking about how uh, that, um, you know, somebody releasing the um, majority opinion about the uh, Roe v. Wade put the justices um in danger that they were um, tar- the potential targets for assassination. What is your reaction to that? So um, there is a visceral um, approach to this. I can tell you that the summer of rage that was unleashed by uh, certain segments is nothing more than post-traumatically stressed people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it because I'm post-traumatically stressed. And uh, one of the issues there is that when you think that something you really believe in uh, personally is going to be taken away and you're traumatized by what you underwent, anger, bitterness, uh, violence is all a part of that. So it is real. Um, I know that I've experienced it to a smaller degree. But I've also realized that um, it's about changing people's hearts. And that violence is real because uh, whenever a, uh, you know, because there's only one, there's only one um, narrative in OBGYN today. It's from, I mean, one narrative from the community of OBGYNs, the American College. Mm-hmm. Abortion is good health care. You better do and refer because we'll take away your license now. That's the violence that we're suffering or we're threatened under now. The reality is, is that um, it's really about whether the laws change, you still need to transform hearts through health care one-on-one. That's how you help your patients. Politics will get you so far, and it's so important. Mm-hmm. It's so important to do that. But we have to stand up as um, medical professionals and providers and actually show folks that there is a better way. Because for 50 years, the ripple of abortion has permeated everything. And so what I think I'm seeing now is, or what I think we're all seeing, 
is that when you find the violence and you actually find people shutting you down, it's basically the tyranny of relativism, because when you end up in a socialistic, uh, atheistic, practical atheistic way, you have to, uh, because it doesn't resonate with the human heart or the human experience, you have to do it by violence. You have to do it by law. And what they did in Dobbs, which was so great, was to give us an opportunity to say the word abortion, to actually not be afraid and to have all these Republicans, you know, please, it's not a losing issue now. We have 50 years of the pain of abortion and the trauma, as well as we have the American people, you know, 80 percent of people don't want abortion on demand. But and you're very forgiving of people who are um, who support abortion rights. I mean, I think that's what's interesting about you is that you you really understand them and really don't hate them at all. Oh, no, well, uh, it, it's easy, you know, uh, being a football guy. Um, you ha- Aaron Rodgers is having a very difficult time and he's being selfish. Uh, other quarterbacks are having a really hard time and they're, they're they want to become more building of their team. I, I want to tell you, uh, it's easy, as scripture says, to love your friends and to forgive your friends and to collaborate with your friends. But I think, I believe with all my heart, because of what my friends in the evangelical and in the Catholic communion have said, Johnny, you're, you're really here for the other. And uh, until that happens, um, we do our best. And uh, I pray for our justices. I pray for the wisdom of our Congress, because I believe abortion is one of the greatest lies in health care. It cannot be foundational. A healing profession does not inflict violence on the least, the sickest, the weakest. It's not good medicine. It's not good sociology. It's not good anthropology. And for us believers, if we really believe that he came for the sick and the sinner, it's not good theology. And uh, it's only through witness and mentorship and conversation. We need to lean in now, as so many people have said, Lauren, that's what you do on this. this, That's what you do on this show. You lean in. And I'm grateful. Can can I ask you something to because I can't I can't let you go without with you know presenting you with these situations for women because there is a there is a political ad on playing in New York you know there is a the the governorship is up this year for the election and um, Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul right. the governor um, one of the ads um, against you know, Lee Zeldin, is that, you know, there's a woman, a very heartfelt woman, talks about that, you know, she got pregnant, you know, after a long time of trying, that she and her husband and the doctor said, you've got to come here and um, there's it's an emergency, get yourself to the emergency room. Something was wrong and she said it saved her life. Now, I don't know the details of her medical situation, but I remember you just said there was there was no medical reason that you know taking the life of the child would save the mother's life, but it there is a compelling understanding that this is this is there are some situations. Let's let's take an ectopic pregnancy or something, you know. Isn't that legitimately a reason to um, end um, the end end the pregnancy? It does not threaten so a woman's life. Ooh. 
Oh, listen, Lauren. Uh, also, Lauren, yes, this is uh, this is the crux. This is where the nexus is is placed today. Mm-hmm. First off, um, first off, um, just like that story that we heard several weeks ago about that young girl that was raped through incest, mm-hmm. there was a lot of unknowns in that case. Number one, and so those didn't come out until later. So. I heard about the case in New York, and I was wondering what they meant. Now, two, is that doctors today, rather than help you navigate your illness, especially in New York State, mm-hmm. where you know abortion on demand and everything is there, um, they will then say, we have to end this pregnancy right now, or else you will develop X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. They haven't developed yet. But they might be. So that's one reason. And what I want to say there is, before I get to the ectopic, is you try to get mom and baby to viability. You try to use the excellent medicine that has come over the last 50 years, not only in ultrasound, but also in medicine, intensive care, to treat mom and child until at least the child has a chance of making it at viability and even afterwards, because 99% of problems occur after that. So that's one, that's easy. Mm -hmm. When the illness, hypertension, diabetes, uh, lupus, kidney disease, renal failure, heart disease, valvular disease, we can treat many of those conditions, but when it shows its ugly, full-blown illness before we have to deli- we have to treat the illness so the abortionist the abortion minded because remember intention is part of the equation of knowing what is good or evil if in your heart you just want to get rid of this kid because it's a problem and it's an it's itself a sexually transmitted disease mm-hmm. that's a problem but if you're trying to treat the disease which secondarily includes the death of a child in mostly Catholic theology. It's the principle of double effect that has been used for eons. And we now have young men and women, people in in education and philosophy and theology and bioethics, where we are teaching this to others. You always treat the you hate the disease, but you love the patient. You love both patients. Mm -hmm. So even though you treat the disease and the baby dies, that is unavoidable because of original sin for us believers, but for certain medical medical conditions. Now, that's not an abortion because we're never directly intending. And it's not just language. It's how you talk to the mom. It's how you tell her what's going on. Now, with ectopics, you have a child because of disease, got caught in the tube 85-90% of the time with ectopics. They're found in other places, but the tube is where it's happening. Mm -hmm. They have expanded, and it's one of the reasons for maternal mortality and morbidity. That means illness and death, because when they blow, when they rip the tube open, you hemorrhage. And then it's life-threatening. And they've said, oh, no, the, you know, terrible people, they're going to make you wait until this happens. No, we now have medicine that identifies these unfortunate 
situations mm-hmm. early. Mm-hmm. Number two, most babies are dead. Most ectopic children, the unborn, mm-hmm. is still, they're dead by the time we get to them. If the child is dead, no matter what we do, mm-hmm. no matter what we do, it's not an abortion. Yeah. But let's say that there's a heartbeat. What mm-hmm. we do in our office is we take out the small segment of tube. We treat the disease. The tube is the disease. It's scarred. The baby got caught behind the scar. It implanted there. And you remove the tube with the life in it. But you targeted the disease. You don't go in and say, you know, this is beyond viability end it and it's that attitude and it's probably the last place where ethics people good people on both sides understand that there's an issue they're using it as a wedge issue between mom and fetus just remember that mom and her child good medicine we've had good medicine before row during row and after row and we're going to continue to practice excellent medicine because of good science and good technology it's a horrific condition but you always target the diseased tube is there Not any way to never. save is there any way if, if, the, if the fetus is viable in the tube uh, when you remove it can you replace it into the uterus will it do that i mean so, it, is that a possibility so some people have tried some people have tried but because the intimacy of that knit a book slayer is so challenging you do more damage to the uterus than not Mm -hmm. and so far that has not been um able it's not been able to be done well ever yeah however many years ago um we didn't have a lot of things that we have now that are really helpful and uh this uh the cutting edge of fetal surgery there are some young uh, college students that I saw 15 years ago with Students for Life. They're now maternal fetal medicine specialists at various universities. And one of my friends is actually doing fetal surgery now in Houston mm-hmm. at a top flight school. And these are men, mostly women. These are women who treat two patients. And uh, I believe that we are um, beginning to see the full possibilities and the full hope of not only good science and good medicine, but good, but the incredible, bountiful mercy of Jesus Christ. Misery attracts his mercy. Remember that, folks. And he is never outdone in generosity. And Romans 8.28 is real. We complete, you know, uh, all things work to the good. And Colossians 1.24 about we complete in our body what he started on the cross. I think that there's a whole new exegesis that people can do on that line in Scripture, as well as, rather than my body, my choice, this is my body given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. These words are coming off the page right now, Lauren, just like you talked about Mm -hmm. in your opening about love and truth. And I want you to know that just being with you and your sensitivity to the current events, as well as my own story, um, I'm so grateful. Well, you're so very kind to say that. And I want to um, tell people the book is called Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine, Dr. John Bruchalski. 
Thank you so much for telling your story. Um, I encourage people to get the book because I could not put it down. It really was quite compelling. And it is your story. I mean, you're not trying to preach to anyone in this story. This is your story. No, no, this is personal to me. Um, This is um, my story. And I wanted to, once again, I really believe that medicine and society seem to be in a free fall. But it's really not. It's been this way ever since the beginning of time. And I wanted to add a story, an experiential work um, called Two Patients um, that uh, adds to the um, diversity and the equity and the ecology of what's going on in a way that maybe it can build bridges not only in the body of Christ, but also in the um, the, the the public square, rather than uh, the venom and the vindictiveness and the polarization. This is my story, and I remember back in the day when the doctors, my professors, Doctor and Howard Georgiana Jones, the wonderful folks, the the gods, small G and OBGYN. Well, John, you found Jesus, and I guess I can't argue with you. But just remember, keep it to yourself. I remember her telling me that when I eventually, <laughs> when I told her immediately when I came back from Yugoslavia. And uh, so, but no, people can uh, contact us at uh, divinemercycare.org and uh, twopatients.com. Um, Ignatius Press, Ignatius.com is a place to get the book or Amazon or anywhere they pick up books. Great. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. It's just been a, been a real blessing. Same here, Lauren. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. I'm Lauren Green. Um, and thank you for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Have a blessed day. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.